Are microgrids the answer to our creaky electric system and inflexible utility companies? Joshua Goldman believes they are. Joshua is the Vice President of Mobility at Zendi. That's a software platform that can help fleets understand complex energy systems and plan EV charging infrastructure. I'm Jim Park. This is HDT Talks Trucking. We're talking with Joshua Goldman. He's the Vice President of Mobility at Zendi. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk about how Zendi can help your company figure out whether or not the microgrid is the right solution. I'm Jim Park. This is HGT Talks Trucking. We'll be back right after this. Time is money, and that's why Catscale built the Way My Truck app. Your drivers can complete their entire way without ever leaving the cab. They'll see their weights on their mobile device or tablet, and scale tickets can be automatically emailed to you. With a fleet profile, you can save back office time as well. No driver reimbursements. And you'll have access to report data. Find out more at waymytruck.com. Joshua Golden, Vice President of E-Mobility for Zendi. Thanks for joining us today on HTT Talks Trucking. Good to have you, sir. Thank you, Jim. It's nice to see you again and be here with you. You, you and I go back a few years. We do, Jim. I was just reminiscing with you as you walked by our Zendi booth. Um, about when we first met eight years ago, and one of the best values I've ever gotten out of a conference was uh, paying a grand to have a, a early prototype electric semi truck on a Pro Star chassis uh, at I think it was some of the early ACT Expos. It was in uh, in, in Anaheim, uh, no, Long, Beach. Long, Long Beach. Beach. Yep. yep, it was at the Long Beach Convention Center. Uh, I can visually remember being parked there on the side of the convention center, and you walked up and say, "Hey, how can I?" Uh, put some GoPros on this thing and we go drive around town. Well, I remember that particular truck, um, 80 miles to 100 miles was about the advertised range. Now it was a very early prototype and now we're looking at 300 in some cases. It's really neat, but uh, they've also gotten heavier and a little more expensive along the way uh, to get to that range, but they're at least OE grade. Yeah. Uh, we call it technology readiness level number nine of a true commercial product, which is great to see. Well, I'm glad I was able to get in one of the uh, one of the first ones and take her for a spin and see how far we've come with it. So thanks for that, eight years old. Um, today, we're, we're faced with a slightly different challenge. We, we've kind of got the trucks figured out, uh, although we're still looking to make them a bit lighter and go a little further. Uh, but where do we, how do we power them? Uh, we're running into all kinds of obstacles now, I hear, with uh, grid connections, utility companies aren't playing you know, in the same sandbox as the trucking industry is. Uh, microgrids have been talked about as a solution to some of this problem. Uh, you know a little bit about microgrids. Can you tell us about how they might uh, provide at least some part of the solution to this? Sure, so to explain a microgrid, it's essentially a local, usually on your site or on your campus, uh, grid that you have that includes the loads, could be your buildings, could be your electric chargers, uh, as well as on-site generation. People usually can think of backup generators we have for hospitals. Well, that's a microgrid. That's a microgrid, okay. Um, now, as we look towards the future, we've also added solar to a lot of buildings. Uh, I've had solar in my house for the last nine years. Uh, and it works great when the sun's shining, but uh, when it's not, or cloudy, or when it's nighttime, um, I'm relying upon the utility at that point. Um, which has been really reliable where I live in San Diego, but it not always is that reliable across the country. So one of the main reasons people look at these uh, DERs or distributed energy resources so far has been for that resiliency. 
to be able to have that power for that critical load, like a hospital, to be able to make sure that you always have diesel fuel into a typical combustion generator to power the site for those uh, very important lives uh, inside there. But as we look towards the future, we want to have more green solutions, lower carbon solutions. So a lot of people are looking at solar coupled with battery storage mm -hmm. to be a microgrid of the future. Now, there's lots more equipment we can do for microgrids. We have fuel cells powered by natural gas or hydrogen. Uh, they look for microgrid support. Uh, and even small modular nuclear reactors are getting considered typically at the research level today, but potentially at the commercial level tomorrow for these on-site loads so that you're not always dependent upon the grid for its perfect um, ride-through of all the powers that you have or just because it's expensive or maybe uh, not as clean carbon-wise mm -hmm. as what you drive for in your fleet and your site loads and operations. Well, that's kind of the, the whole reason we're turning to electricity and batteries is to reduce our carbon footprint. That, so it wouldn't make is. a lot of sense to have a diesel-powered generator driving your electric trucks, would it? Well, uh, in some cases, you could have a natural gas-driven generator that with uh, a modern engine and the after-treatment equipment could be cleaner than the current grid you have today. Not saying it's cleaner than the future grid, because besides a lot of sites looking at microgrids, uh, the grid utilities are also looking at macrogrids, what we call utility-scale renewables, like very large acres and acres of solar mm -hmm. uh, equipment or wind farms. Uh, or other ways of storage, pumped hydro is something we've done in a long time in this country uh, as a, a storage medium for that energy. But grid scale batteries are really coming of age and getting cost effective. In fact, I heard one report that one of the new plants coming in to the Southwest for these batteries, for these trucks and cars, well, actually 70% of that plant will likely be for grid storage, either utility scale or microgrid at the user level. So when you say grid storage, you're talking uh, produce or harvest the solar energy during the day while the sun shines, charge batteries with it. At night when the sun's not shining, reverse the flow, pull the energy back out of the batteries and send it into the grid or wherever else you need it. That's correct. That's, That's correct. the idea. So, so most microgrids are for the actual loads on site. So let's say you're a cold storage facility outside LA. Uh, you might already have solar on board because it made economic sense for you to do so. And with the early tariffs over the last 10 years, you start with what's called net electric metering or NEM1, then NEM2, then NEM3 uh, is now in effect. Under NEM1, every kilowatt you generated back to the grid, you got paid for at the same price that you would have had to pay to consume that electricity, which might have been 16 cents during the day, could have been only seven or eight cents at night. Uh, 10 years ago, but now the grid's so expensive, it could be 25, 35 or more cents per kilowatt hour that the utility's like, well, we've got so much solar on the grid today, we don't afford to pay you as much for it anymore. So on them too, you get about half of that price. Yep. Uh, and a lot of people were signing up in the last few months to get their applications in during that NEM2 uh, sunset. But now under NEM3, those rates are more of the commercial generation rates that utilities pay across their local grid for those electrons. Let's say six cents a kilowatt hour. So it means that solar is really not penciling out in the same way that it used to. By putting them on the roof of your house. Or on the roof of your warehouse. Okay, even if you can uh, But when you couple that with batteries, and now you're able to have your sunshine during the day, going into your on-site storage with your battery, and then use your battery in the late evening, when electricity can be most expensive, especially here in the Southwest, because 
no more solar, but lots of load from not only the trucks pulling into charge or the warehouses trying to keep their refrigerated goods cool, but my kids coming home and wanting to play on their Xbox uh, and, you know, light, light up the grid with all sorts of loads that are making it really expensive. Uh, so with that battery storage, you can uh, essentially do what we call arbitrage. Uh, and that's where you can uh, levelize your load to be using your own self-generation or stored energy during the day and then recharge that battery either at night when it's cheapest to do so or during the next day when the sun is shining or maybe both, depending on the strategy of what we call an energy management system that looks at all the costs as well as other metrics like carbon intensity uh, or reliability to decide which dispatch of commands we want for those DERs, those microgrid resources to be able to optimize the operation of your microgrid to have the results you're looking for as a site owner. Is it practical for a truck fleet to establish its own solar farms and microgrid or wind generation? Um, and if not, how do you participate or get involved in a microgrid so that you're lowering your reliance on the utility? Um, so it is possibly practical. Um, this is the nuance when you got 2000 different utilities here in North America, in, in the U S you've got 2000 different types of equations to solve for what we call tariffs and the math of the cost of those tariffs to help at the nuanced level, at the local level, see if it makes sense here in California, where tariffs are extremely expensive in the afternoon, in the summertime, it could make a lot of sense. Okay. Uh, but if you're in the Midwest where you pretty much have a pretty level cost of electricity, uh, and maybe you have pretty clean carbon-free energy coming from hydro or nuclear, uh, it might not make as much sense from a cost percent uh, sense or from a operating sense. Where it often does make sense though is in resiliency because a lot of times the grids are getting strained and it's great to know that you have your own options at your site that you can use to sort of power through those outages. Could be a few hours, in which case batteries could work pretty well. Could be a few days, in which case generators might be a better solution for you. So uh, if I'm a small truck fleet and I've got capacity for charging 10, 15 trucks, but I don't use all of that overnight. In some scenarios, I could wind up selling that back to the grid and recover some of my costs, if not make a profit from it. That's right. I mean, that's one of the things we do at Zendi is we help model these different scenarios for fleets, uh, looking at these demand response programs in different regions, California, Texas, Massachusetts, New York, uh, and we can help people understand what is the potential value of that grid storage battery on your site that could be making you hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in just a handful of days of those demand response events. And you might make a choice as a fleet during those times. Does it make you more sense to make money carrying packages or more sense to make money helping the grid? In fact, as you look to vehicle the grid as well, which is coming, hopefully in the heavy duty sector as well, like it is in school buses, can make the same decision. My batteries in my trucks could help support the grid that I make money in. Maybe with more money than my package. And I just have to tell my customer, can you wait a day? I'm willing to make it a cheaper package delivery for you if you let me use my truck for this other purpose. Well, what is Zendi, Joshua? And, and why should we get to know that name? So Zendi is a software startup based in San Diego, California. Now, for the past five years, has been developing a cloud-based, web-based tool to help site owners, developers, consultants, engineers, and other constituents in the uh, microgrid world evaluate the cost and complexity in a technical and economic optimization 
of their uh, site electrification plans. So we started out looking at the original solar and batteries for college campuses or military operations uh, or uh, other kind of locations to see how much value is there in adding what size solar to your site? Can you add storage like batteries to it? What can generators do? And then along comes a lot of our customers saying, hey, we're being asked to add a lot of EV charging to these low zones. And, and these truck chargers, potentially 350 kilowatts, can be a, a much more significant load than just our warehouse or just our business site. Uh, and so we then leaned into that and adapted our design-based optimization tool to be able to take in this kind of equipment like EV charging. Uh, we can look at then how many trucks you're looking to operate, give us the type of truck. We have modeled in a lot of the major OEMs, class five through eight trucks in our system. Tell us how many miles you got to run, what kind of a tonnage of load you're carrying, how many stops you're making with those loads. And we'll estimate them what the kilowatt hours of consumption of the truck is. And also know by some of the hours of operation, when it's back and just plugged in and could be charging. Okay. Uh, and so then what we're doing in the optimization is we're simulating an energy management system controller that would, in the real world, be dispatching all of the solar and the batteries and the utility connection to power this equipment. So we know what size batteries, what size solar makes sense. And then we look at the economics. So we can look at the internal rate of return, levelized cost of energy. In other words, the cents per kilowatt hour that it'll be for your site, whether it's coming straight from the utility or if you're also using these renewable energy resources to do so. Why do fleets know that? At the end of the day, the number you get is a cost per mile. And often when I was in the OEM level, building those first trucks like you drove, Jim, we were trying to figure out what is those costs of those electrons. And I could tell you on average, it's 11 to 13 cents a kilowatt hour across the country. But I couldn't tell you at your site in LA with your existing building loads and the tariffs you have, what that would be if you plugged in at 5 p.m. versus 5 a.m. versus midnight. With this tool, we can figure that out. Again, most people are just want to know, I got to run 10 trucks. What do I do? Uh, I got to think maybe going 50 or 100 all, all 2,000 of my trucks across the country. What does that look like? Oh, now I can see how expensive electricity is. What can I do to make it cheaper? What sort of capital investments can I make now? or partner with capitalized firms that are in the business of helping fleets buy those chargers, buy those solar panels, buy those batteries. So they get one price of that cost per mile. That makes sense for them based upon their own business. Yeah. One of the things that I've gleaned from the discussions I've had that everybody tells you plan ahead, plan for future growth. Uh, that's difficult at the best of times. You know, obviously you're optimistic. You want your fleet to grow. But if you're a 10 truck fleet today, or let's say 50, and you want to grow to 100 or 200, presumably your energy demand is going to increase by two to four times. Uh, how do you how do you plan for that? Not just the consumption, but the installation of the infrastructure necessary: chargers, cabling, uh, connections to the grid, all that. You don't want to dig up your parking lot every two years when you add 20 more trucks. So thank you. One of our features we call a multi-year approach. And so you can look at the scale up of your fleet from 10 to 50 to 100 and see what then the power levels are. And then we have another software feature tool called the power flow analysis and a single line drawing output. So what does that do? That looks at the actual electrons flow from transformers through switchgear, through conduits and cabling. So you can right size the equipment all the way through. And even though you know today you might only need 
a thousand kilowatts or uh, for that site, a megawatt level. It could tell you for the future demand, it could be five megawatts. So we can help you say today you might want this size, maybe in ground, bigger conduits that you can pull bigger cables through. But start with this size transformer now. And in five years, go to the size transformer. In a lot of cases, the constraint is the utility. We hear this over and over again at these electric conferences I've been attending. Talk to your utility early and often uh, and help them along the way for their capacity analysis that they're working on. Well, you can take it also into your own hands by what I'm calling a phased approach to your electrification journey. Maybe you start with a transportable genset or battery storage device to sort of power those trucks while you're waiting on the utility service drop for that megawatt load. Maybe you got 10 megawatts of load and they need a substation upgrade at the distribution level. That could take five to seven years. So now you can plan the equipment that you can run today, maybe with temporary on-site generation, even cleaner than it might be in the grid today, which could make CARB happy. Uh, but then move that equipment to your next site that is further along the timeline for your capacity integration from the utility substation feed. But what is utility looking for the most? What is your load factor? Most importantly, what are your kilowatts and what are your kilowatt hours for feeding your fleet? So they can project that out as they build out their own substations for not just from you, but from all the other customers. Well, yeah, because if, if you're one electric fleet, you're going to have several others around you and the utility is going to be going, okay, how many more people are going to flip the switch on us in the next five, 10 years? My guess is if you're not in soon, you're going to be waiting a long time. And you might be paying for it too, because sometimes that last person in that just made that substation upgrade, they're the ones that have to pay for it. Give us a couple of tips in uh, for a, a would-be small fleet, 10 to 50 trucks, uh, planning to electrify in the next two to five years. What, what would you be doing if you were in, in that CEO's shoes? Um, well, first and most important, tell me your operation. Tell me what your fleet plan is. Tell me what uh, your thoughts are for conversion from combustion fuels into electrification, if that is your journey. It might not be, but even if you're considering it, it's worth a study. And for hundreds of thousands of dollars, you can save yourself millions and millions of dollars in the future by studying this today. Um, find companies that are willing to help you in this journey. Could be Zendi. Uh, a lot of our clients are uh, firms that are helping their local constituents do these valuations using the Zendi tool. Um, and of course, contact your utility, make a relationship there, just like you have a relationship with your fuel, pro fuel providers today. Okay. Um, and then, Start to dream a little bit. Kind of vision your yard of the future. I love that exercise. Think about what it might look like where you've got these electric trucks throughout your yard running these kind of loads for your customers that are demanding that low carbon footprint. Uh, does it look like it has solar on top? Are you thinking of battery storage? Uh, are you thinking of other equipment on site besides the trucks that you're trying to electrify? What are your pumps, your forklifts, your other uh, your yard tractors? Um, as you build out, Anything with the tailpipe today, there are grants available likely to help you make that thing electric or zero emission hydrogen right now. And I always recommend investigate the carrot approach before the stick comes, because it could be much more affordable to do so now than when you're forced to do it later. Well, Joshua, thanks for that. Uh, appreciate you bringing your insight to the table. That's a fascinating discussion. I learned a lot. I hope somebody else did, but we got a long way to go and discussions like this are going to help us get there, I think. Jim, I appreciate your time. It was great to see you again, and thank you for this opportunity. Appreciate it, sir. I've been speaking with Joshua Goldman, the Vice President of Mobility at Zendi. 
We spoke at Bobbitt's Fleet Forward Conference in Santa Clara, California back in early November. If you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment. Do you think microgrids might accelerate the adoption of heavy-duty BEVs? Let us know in the comment section down below. The digital version of HDT has lots more coverage on the emerging BEV industry. You can find us at truckinginfo.com. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for watching. <music>